If you have your Bibles, we are in the Gospel of Luke. We are finishing up chapter 9 today. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke and have been investigating the life of Jesus and, and those who have been uh, in his life and a part of his life. And as we are moving through this chapter now, we come, Luke brings us now to a, a very pivotal part, a very uh, major shift in this gospel, all the way up through this, we have watched as he has, Jesus has been training his disciples, teaching his disciples uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and how we are to live our lives and, to, and what we are to do. And then now we're going to see here as we get to verse uh, 51 in Luke chapter 9, there's a shift that we're going uh, to see. And so we'll get to that in just a minute. But let me ask you a question as we uh, move into today's uh, message today and to our narrative, our text. Have you ever asked the question or have you ever been asked the question, are you serious? Have you ever been asked that question? Now, I heard a couple of you kind of chuckle because there's really... Two primary ways, and I know there's more than that, but there's really two primary ways that we ask that question. The first one is simply this, are you serious? In, in the sense that, do you really mean what you mean? Um, are, are you really telling me the truth? Are you serious about what you're saying? And we mean that truthfully. However, the other way, and probably the most often way that we use them, especially if you're a teenager here today, is are you serious? Right? A little sarcastic, quite sarcastic. We might even break it down to not even ask, are you serious? We might just make it one word and say, serious, right? Or seriously. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how we use this question, this term, and I, I was drawn back to uh, my daughter, Sophia, when she was in the second grade. Uh, we were in Harvey, North Dakota, and she had two teachers that were uh, her teachers in the second grade. The way it worked there was basically um, her primary teacher was Mrs. Hayes, and she would be with her most of the day. And then part of the day, a couple subjects, whatever, they'd switch teachers, and she'd see Mrs. Harrington. Well, as you would in a small community, you get to know people very, very well. And so I got to know Mrs. Hayes and Mrs. Harrington very well. And Shortly after her starting the second grade and coming home, she started using two terms that I had not heard her use before uh, in a sarcastic way. She was starting to learn her sarcasm, right? And all of a sudden, we would say something to Sophia, and she'd go, really? Or we would say something to her, and she'd go, seriously? And I thought, well, it's just a phase in her life. She's going through this. She's learning this probably from the other children in, in school and stuff like that. And so one day I came to pick Sophia up from school. And um, as it was, I was able to kind of talk with the teachers a little bit right before uh, the kids were let out. So I was in the hallway. The teachers were out there. We were talking. And they, they, what they would do is they would dismiss the second grade classes and they had all of their coats hanging on hooks and books and stuff like that out in the hallway. So I was standing there with Mrs. Harrington, and I was standing there with Mrs. Hayes, and the kids were going to get their stuff. And as you can imagine, second graders, well, they just don't listen the best sometimes, do they? And all of a sudden, I'm standing there with Mrs. Hayes on one side, Mrs. Harrington on the other, waiting for Sophia to get her stuff. And one of the young students came out and did something that, that Mrs. Hayes didn't really care for. And all of a sudden, I hear this sarcastic tone, really? And no more than two seconds later, 
From the other side of me, Mrs. Harrington had one of her kids that didn't do something that they were supposed to do. And she goes, seriously? And it dawned on me that my daughter didn't learn this from kids. Other than the many wonderful things that uh, these teachers did teach my daughter, and they did very, very well, they started her on a road of sarcasm, which she has picked up very well as she has continued growing, uh, as we all do, all right, as we all do. But all of a sudden, so that's how we see these terminologies, that's how we see this question, are you serious? Have you ever had anybody say to you sarcastically, are you serious right now? Really? Um, so we're not going to see necessarily this question in our narratives, but we're going to see it implied. We're going to see it implied uh, in a serious regard, but also in a very sarcastic regard. So let's move into our narrative this morning, and let's ask and answer the question, seriously, are you serious? Are you serious? And in verse 51, we see that when the day drew near... Luke tells us, when the day drew near for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is where everything changes in the narrative. For the past two years, Jesus has been walking with his disciples, training them for the ministry they're going to have, training them for the day that Jesus is going to leave. And here's what we see here is that Jesus now knows that the time is drawing near for him to be taken up. That term taken up means Jesus knows it's becoming very soon, probably within the next 12 months that he is going to go to the cross, he is going to die for the sins of man, he is going to ascend uh, into heaven. He knows this is taking place, and so now Jesus starts turning his focus from the disciples to Jerusalem, or in other words, to the cross. Jesus' ministry has been going on for two years, maybe a little bit over that right now with the disciples, and he now knows it's time for him to go towards Jerusalem, time to go towards the cross. He'll still be training his disciples, there'll still be many lessons for them to learn as they go, but now his focus is on Jerusalem. And as they get ready to travel, they're in Galilee, which is the northern part of uh, Israel there. And in order for them to travel to Jerusalem, which is in the south, many days' journey um, there, the quickest way to go through is through the community of the Samaritans, to go through Samaria there, if you would. And so Jesus sends two of his disciples in verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now there's some things we need to understand here. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. His disciples are going with him. And Jesus knows that the fastest way to get there is through Samaria. However, Samaria was not the normal travel route for a Jew. The reason was because the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't like each other. Or can I put it this way? They despised each other. All right? There was no love lost between uh, the two of these people. You see, the Samaritans were Jews who married Gentile spouses. And the Jews looked down upon them because they, they had compromised themselves. And the Jews thought that they were inferior. As a matter of fact, the Jews believed that they were so much better than the Samaritans that they would not walk through Samaria and get that Samaritan dirt on their shoes. They would go around. They were so much better than, than the Samaritans were. 
However, as we know and as we've already seen in the ministry of Jesus as he talked to the woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus, of course, didn't feel this way. And he wanted opportunities to go and to minister also to the Samaritans. However, when these Jewish disciples made their way into Samaria and they knew they were Jews just by looking at them, the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with the disciples and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And it's pretty interesting here because what is happening here is really a race war. What is happening here is they hated each other because of their races. One was a Samaritan, one was a Jew. We could put it in terms of today with other races and, and white and, and whatever you want to add to that. But that tension was there, that struggle was there. But it's interesting that Luke records here that they wouldn't let him pass through because his face was set towards Jerusalem, because the reality is, is that the Samaritans had their own temple where they worshiped God, and the Jews, of course, had their temple in Jerusalem. And they found out through the disciples that Jesus was heading to the temple in Jerusalem. And so they used that as an excuse, saying, Well, if our temple's not good enough for you, then we're not going to let you come through our land, which the, the fact of the matter was is that if a Jew came to the Samaritan temple, they wouldn't let him in anyways because he was a Jew. So I want you to see here there was racial tension that was taking place. There was racial things. And we know that this is uncomfortable because we're living in a situation where there's racial tension today. Um, there shouldn't be, but there certainly is, isn't there? And we recognize that and we see that. And so... We see plainly here that the Samaritans have rejected Jesus and said, no, you cannot come in. We are not going to let you go through our land. We're, we're, you need to go another way. And the anger was kindled in this. And so James and John, being the spiritual apostles they were, they decided they had an answer to the problem. Verse 54, and when the disciples, James and John, saw it, when they experienced this, when they realized what was going on, they had a plan. And they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? God, you want me to kill them? They're Samaritans. We don't, we don't even like them. We don't even care about them. Look, at, You're all like going, I don't even know if I should breathe right now. I'm so tense. Right? This is what we're supposed to do. And that's how James and John felt. And that's what was going on with the, tension, the, the racial tension that was going on there. And, and the, the, they're like, man, I don't know what, what brought this to their mind. There is a story in the Old Testament of Elijah who, who took out 50 wicked men by calling fire down. I don't know if James goes, hey, remember when Elijah did this? Why don't we do the same thing? Let's call fire down and let's just burn them up. And then we can stay wherever we want. Right? We can do whatever we want to do. And so they go to Jesus with this thought. And Jesus does what? It says, but he turned to them, that's Jesus, and he rebuked him. Or, if I could put it in my term, are you serious? Are you serious? Seriously. I, I almost can picture Jesus standing behind James and John and doing one of these. I can, I, can, I can picture him going, what in the world is going through your mind? He rebuked him. That rebuke is a hard rebuke. 
I, I, can, can I just really give you, are you idiots? What is wrong with the two of you, right? And they get the title Sons of Thunder, right? Because they want to call down fire. and oh, that's a, Listen, Jesus wanted nothing to do with that. And I want you to see the heart here. Jesus, listen, and you need to understand this. Because even in churches, this has gotten messed up in in, in years past. Jesus loves every race equally. Jesus loves everyone equally. And he was flabbergasted, for lack of any term. I I would have loved to have seen Jesus' face at that moment. We would see shock. We would see confusion. I think we'd hear the word, seriously? I think Jesus in his mind was going, remember last, last week when he was frustrated with, with them and said, how long must I be with you? He's like, how long? Oh my God, you, I've been with you this long and you still haven't gotten anything that I've taught you. I, thought, I think he was pretty frustrated about it. And what did Jesus do? Obviously, he rebuked them. Obviously, he said no. And he said, let's just move on. Remember when Jesus sent the the apostles out a few uh, weeks ago? We talked about that in the beginning of chapter 9. He said, if someone does not accept you, what are you supposed to do? Just shake the dust off of your feet and move on. Why? Because Jesus is in the business of building bridges, not tearing them down. You see, what happens here, and what we need to understand here, is that that Jesus is now setting this up for the future. He wasn't going to fight with them. He wasn't going to argue with them. And can I tell you this? If you reject Jesus, he's just going to move on. He's not going to fight with you. He's not going to pull you down. If you decide, hey, I want to do my own thing, I'm not going to do what Jesus wants in my life, then hey, that's fine. Jesus says, you do whatever you want to do. But Jesus is about building bridges, And so rejection came as Jesus wanted to come through Samaria, and they said no, and Jesus says, okay, we'll go another route. And so this shows us very plainly that in ministry, we will face rejection. Did you know that? In ministry, we will have people that will be against us. In ministry, we will have, are you ready? We will have people that will hate us. We will have people that, that like the Samaritans, are, dis- are disgusted with Christians and with Christianity and, and hate Christians. What does Jesus tell us to do? Call fire down and burn them up? Absolutely not. We are to show them love and grace. We are to say, if that's your choice, then we give you that choice and we, we move on and we respond. Because listen, listen to what Jesus is going to say now. When we get towards uh, after his death and resurrection and he gives the commission to the church, what's he going to say? Go therefore make disciples. He says, I want you to go into all the world. Go where? Go to Samaria. He says that, doesn't he? Go to Samaria. Go to those people that hate you. Go to those people who have rejected you. Go to those who have rejected me and share with them again love and grace. Jesus never quits. He never stops. And so we see here Jesus saying to James and John, listen, you guys got it wrong. And church, listen to me. When we are hated, when we are despised, when we are ridiculed, when we are uh, brought down, the Bible says it's not our place to find vengeance. God is the ultimate judge and he will judge all things. What are we to do? We are to show love. We are to show grace. We are to show them Jesus. You see, 
And so Jesus is heading off to Jerusalem, and this is a very valuable lesson for them as Jesus goes to the cross, that people will reject you, that people will uh, uh, say no, that people will treat you wrong. But as he continues now uh, on this journey to Jerusalem, we have three people that, that meet Jesus on the road as he goes, and, and we see some things here of those who seemingly want to accept Jesus. So we've had the rejection of Jesus. Now we have those who seemingly want to accept Jesus, but we run into a snag. We run into a problem. So in verse 57, we see Jesus and his disciples now are traveling. They're they're going outside of Samaria. They're going another direction there. And as always, as Jesus leaves, there's always people around him. There's always a crowd with him. There's his apostles, his disciples, and then other people that are going. And all of a sudden, a young man comes up to Jesus in 57 and says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Well, I will follow you wherever you go. Doesn't that sound good? Jesus I will follow you wherever you go. Whatever you're going to do. I I know the Samaritans rejected you, but Jesus, I want you to know I will follow you wherever you go. And so this person has has maybe heard of Jesus. Maybe he's seen the miracles. He's seen the fame. He's seen all of this. He says, man, I want to be a part of this. And Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus responds to this young man in a very serious way. Are you serious? You really want to follow me? You really want, want to do what I am doing? Yeah, I, I, I see what you're doing. I can hear this young man say, absolutely. I would love to help in ministry. I would love to be there and listen to you teach. I would love to be there. I mean, I remember when you gave the, the five fish or the five loaves and the two fish to the disciples and they handed it out and it kept multiplying in their hands. Oh, I'd love to see that happen in my life. I, I'd love to preach your kingdom. I would love to see lives change. Absolutely, I'm all in. Have you noticed that what that person is, as I'm kind of giving you a picture of this person is looking at, looking at all the fun stuff of ministries. You know, there's some fun stuff in ministry. There really is. There's some great blessings. There's some good stuff. There's some great things that we see. And so Jesus is like, well, you're on board. Are you serious? This is something you really, really want to do? And, and uh, yeah, I want to do it. And, and we notice here that, that the, Jesus doesn't go, man, great. We really could use you. We could really plug you in here. Let's, let, let's go at it. This is wonderful. I love your attitude. No, what does Jesus say? Now, listen. I think Jesus is being as sincere as he can be. I think he's being as honest as he can be. I don't think there's one ounce of sarcasm in anything that Jesus says here. I think he looks right at this person and says, man, I'm in, I'm all in, I'll follow you. And Jesus looks at them and says in verse 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And apparently... As we see, this really kind of rocked the world of this person. He gives this person a reality check. Now listen, Jesus is not against this person being his disciple. It's not that he doesn't want him to be his disciple. On the contrary, I think Jesus is like, yeah, I would really love you to be my disciple. But listen very carefully. Listen very careful to me, church. Jesus never hid the cost. 
following Jesus sounds good. We can make it look good on paper. We can make, we can make it sound great uh, up there, uh, uh, up in front of you. You can look at me and go, man, that might be fun. Get up there and everybody has to listen to you, right? Or they're praying for you, one or the other, uh, too, right? All right. Oh, that looks like fun. That looks like, that looks great. But listen, Jesus said, I want you to understand, there's a cost to following me. And I think Jesus was really referring back to just what happened in Samaria. Jesus was looking for a place to lodge. He was looking for a place to stay for the night. And the Samaritan said, whoa, no, we don't want you. We don't want anything to do with you, your disciples, or you, Jesus. You're a Jew. We don't want you. And I think what he's saying is, listen, that when you follow me, you will deal with rejection. When you follow me, you may not know where you're going to lay your head at night. When you follow me, there are some things that are uncertain. It is not easy street. It is not always comfortable. And church, I think this, this speaks to us as well, and we need to understand this. And I think it goes right to the core of the gospel. Listen to me very carefully. I think we have taken the gospel and have tried to butter it up so good that people don't really understand what it means to be saved. You see, salvation is accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. Jesus, accepting him and going, I will not only, not only do I ask that you save me from my sin and give me heaven as my eternal home, but what I am actually doing is I am surrendering to you. I want to follow your principles. I want to follow your precepts. I want to do what you call me to do. And Jesus says, listen, everything I call you to do is not easy. Oh, but our gospel today and in in the world today is like, just add Jesus to your life and your life will be good. Things will be great. As a matter of fact, some people go as far as saying that you'll never get sick. You'll always have wealth. Life will be wonderful. As a matter of fact, it'll be your best life now. You might not even want heaven. It's going to be so good, right? That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says in this world there will be trouble. In this world, there will be heartache. In this world, there will be struggles. In this world, you will face struggles simply because you're a child of God. Do you hear me? In this world, you'll be persecuted. It's not peaches and cream. It is not easy stuff all of the time. And that's what Jesus was laying out in church. We need to understand that. Truly, listen now, are you ready? Truly following Jesus is messy. Grace is messy. Life is messy. Truly following Jesus puts us right in the middle, are you ready, of the yuck of sin. Puts us in the middle of it. Puts us with dealing with people that that are dealing with it. It is not easy. However, listen to me very carefully, there is nothing more rewarding, nothing that brings greater joy in one's life than one that counts the cost and jumps in with both feet. I'm telling you, it's not easy, but it's rewarding. It's not easy, but God blesses. It's not easy, but God takes care of us. And so this first person says, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll do, well, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, I have nowhere to lay my head. And they're like, 
whoa, that's a little bit too difficult. And we see that they don't follow Jesus. We see they turn, turn away. Jesus told them the truth. The second person we see here as, we're, as Jesus is walking down here, which is very interesting here in verse number 59, this person doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to this person. Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. Can you imagine Jesus walking up to you saying, follow me? Again, this person knew Jesus. He knew the ministry that Jesus had. He had heard the stories. He had watched all of this stuff. He says, follow me. And this man reacts to him and, and says, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So Jesus says, come and follow me. Drop all that you have and come and follow me. Jesus calls this person to come and follow him. That's really not unlike what happens in our lives because those of us who are, are saved and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of us have a call in our life to do what God calls us to do, don't we? There's a special call for those, I believe, who go into full-time ministry. I remember when I was 13 years old, uh, 13 years old, remember God prompting my heart to, to want to go into full-time ministry. I had no idea what that meant. I just said, God, I surrender. And I remember the Lord dealing with my heart and, and moving me in that direction. But God does that to all of us who are saved, who have a relationship with us. When there's a ministry that's laid on our heart that God has given to us that we, we lean towards and we want to be a part of and, and we have that yearning, that's the Holy Spirit drawing us and working and that call. And so this man was called, not unlike the 12 disciples who were called by Jesus to, to drop everything and to follow me. And this young man's response he looks at Jesus when Jesus says, follow me. And I can kind of hear, are you serious? You, you want me? You, you, you're choosing me? Are, are you serious, Jesus? You want me to follow you? But yet, immediately then, he steps back for a second and thinks about Jesus calling him. Maybe he had even heard uh, the situation with the man in front of him that is not all that easy. And he takes a step back and says, okay, well, I'll follow you, but let me bury my father first. Now, let me ask you this question. Doesn't that sound like a reasonable request? I mean, really? Come on. Apparently, apparently this, this young man's father uh, has died or something, and he wants to go and bury his dad. And you're like, well, shoot, that makes sense. Go bury your dad, and then, then come back and, and follow us. Certainly, that's how you would respond. But that's not how Jesus responded. As a matter of fact, we look at this response by Jesus and we scratch our head and we go, Jesus, I, I thought you were love. I thought you were compassion. I thought you, you, you cared about people. And this response is cold. This response is harsh. This response is almost mean when we read it. Look at it, verse number 60. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of of God. My dad, I need to make sure that I go and bury my dad. Oh, let the dead bury their dead. You don't worry about it. It's his dad. Why in the world would Jesus say this? Well, Luke doesn't give us uh, here the reason why. And Jesus knows the heart of this man more than, than just the mind. And we're missing a big picture out of here, which, which the, the, the Greek language lets us know. Uh, so let me clear it up, clarify it to you. Jesus wasn't being mean. He wasn't being harsh. He wasn't pushing this young man away, although it seems like it in our language. What was happening was this. The man's dad wasn't dead. 
As a matter of fact, the man's dad wasn't even close to death. What he was saying was, my dad is old. And uh, he's going to die somewhere in the future. Could be months, could be years. Uh, we don't know for sure, but, but he, he's old. And since he's old, I'll go and, and take care of my dad and take care of my family and, and keep all his things in order. And when he finally kicks the bucket, right, when he finally dies, oh, then Jesus, then, then I will come and, and I will uh, follow you. To which Jesus' response was, he uses the term dead here, let the dead bury the dead. You think that's kind of, kind of harsh. What he's literally saying, he's saying, let those who are in the same category of your dad that are old and on their way to death, let them, they've taken care of their life, they're taking care of their responsibilities, now they're there, they can help your dad through that stuff, let them take care of it. He wasn't being rude or, or mean, he was saying, listen, let them take care of that. You are young. You are vital. You, uh, I see in you potential. I see in you the, the, the ability to do something. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God with me. This man couldn't handle it. He couldn't bear it. This man was probably honored that Jesus would ask him, but deep down he didn't really want to follow Jesus. That was really what it came to and you know what he gave him? Are you ready? He gave him an excuse. He gave him an excuse. Excuses. We're good at them, aren't we? We're very good at them. We can come up with some really good excuses. Ones that on the surface sound very, very uh, plausible ones that sound like, well, certainly we could let this go. And it's interesting to me that in this text, what does this man use as his primary excuse? He uses his family. You see, Jesus has a call in all of our lives to serve Him and to minister to Him. And I think many times we decide that we want to give excuses. We want to do our own thing in our own life. And I think a lot of times family becomes one of our primary excuses. Family is important. Family is important to God. God tells us that, that we must follow Him, but we all, in following Him, we must make sure that we take care of our family as well. But it's amazing to me how many times people use family to get out of the things that God has plainly told us to do in His Word. I can't because of family. I, I, I can't do this or do that because i got to be with family. I don't know if you know this or not, but as I was thinking about this, one thing that just really came to my mind was, we as pastors uh, do talk shop like other people do. Do you know that? Pastors get together and we talk about the things of ministry and we talk about things in our church and things uh, that are going on. And one of the things, as I was studying this and thinking about this, that popped up in my mind was something that we as pastors talk about all the time and it concerns us and it breaks our hearts. And that is this, the trend in our society today to keep family so first in our lives that God takes a second place to our family. I can't go to church this weekend because my, fam my, my kid has got this or my kid has got that. My kid is involved in this or our family is doing this. The one that always gets me the most is, is I, I've had people tell me, so many times, I can't come to church on Sunday morning because I have to go to my three-year-old's nephew's birthday. All right? And they live where? They live, they live 30 minutes away. They're, they're in town. We're not going anywhere, but i got to have the whole morning to prepare for my 
three-year-old's birthday party at three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, come on, it's got Iron Man on the cake. What do you got to prepare for, right? Oh, pastor, you're meddling. I'm just telling you, you know, I hear a lot of special things, right? All I'm saying is this. In the society that we're living in, in the world that we are living in, I would think, especially parents that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would rather have their children sit in a service, even though, and I recognize, we're going through coronavirus, we don't have our children's ministries up the way we want them to, and we need to have the stuff like that, but I would rather have my child sitting and enduring, listening to me for 30 minutes, and maybe the Word of God washing over them, the Holy Spirit doing something in their lives, than to make sure they made it to the outing, the sporting event, the things that they did that's going to pull them away from God. I saw a clip once and it makes perfect sense. The reality of your son or daughter making the team professionally that they're playing the sports in is next to nothing. But they do need Jesus in their life. And I can't not think about the fact that there are so many young men and women in their teenage years and in their college age years that have been in church in their life but walked away from God because their parents weren't serious about it. And I think we see some of that dilemma playing out in our society today. And I think we need to recognize how important this is. So this young man said, yeah, I'm going to use my family as an excuse And we must not do the same. The third person that came up, this person said, I'll follow you, Jesus. Says in verse 61, and yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Again, we see an excuse here. Again, this person comes up. and I don't know if he was going to say, I don't know where he, he was in this. I don't know why he would even say this if he wasn't really serious about it. But he comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you. But that was all on the surface because Jesus knew his heart. What this person was really saying is this, and listen to me very carefully because I think quite often in our lives, we say the same thing to God when we feel his call in our hearts to follow him. And that is this, I will follow you as long as I can do what I want to do first and then I'll bring you into the picture. It's exactly what this young man was saying. I will follow you, but not right now. I want to follow you, but let me go back first and let me say farewell. And so, so we listen to that. We're like, oh, he just wants to say goodbye to his friends, right? He just wants to say goodbye. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, not saying farewell. He was saying, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life with my friends until I get to a certain age. And then when I'm at that certain age, then I'll start following Jesus. Have you ever heard that reasoning? I sure have. Well, these are my young years. These are the years I want to do my thing. When I get older, I will do something else. (laughs) And again, I think very sarcastically, we could hear Jesus say, seriously? Seriously? Seriously, you want to do your own thing first? And so this is how Jesus responds to him. He says, listen, no one who puts his hand to the plow, no one who says, I will follow you, but looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, listen, I can, Jesus is like, seriously, in other words, 
I think what Jesus really said to him in this, and I think this was harsh. I think this was, this was the only statement that Jesus was harsh about. I think Jesus was like, if that's what you're going to give me, if you're going to give me second best, if you're going to go do your own thing and then finally think you're going to add me to your life and then things are going to be okay, I think what he's saying is don't even bother. Don't even bother. Because you're not sold out to me. You don't, you don't really want to follow me. You want to do your own thing. You're not serious about this. You want to follow me, listen now, on your own terms. And church, there are many, 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 many claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ who are only followers of Jesus Christ in name because they want to follow Jesus on their own terms. Listen to me very carefully. God does not take you to follow him on your terms, only on his. He is to be Lord of our life. We follow him based upon his terms. Following God is an all or nothing proposition. Either he is first or he is nothing. And the question that I ask is this. Where are your priorities? That's what Jesus was asking this young man. He's like, where are your priorities? You don't really get it. You really don't understand. You want Again, I think he was looking at all the, the excitement of this and what it would mean to be a Jesus follower. and He'd, he'd be part of the, the, the group, part of the team. I'm with Jesus. Isn't that what we do? When, when the church is on fire and things are happening, something, I'm part of that group. Where are you on Sundays? And where are you in the ministries? And why aren't you plugged into a ministry or stuff like that? Well, I want to do my thing. I want to do my way first. I want to get my stuff out of the way. And then, and then if Jesus fits into my schedule, then I'll put them in. I'll, I'll get them in. Well, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. Listen very carefully. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either God is master or you are master. That's what it boils down to. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the others. It's impossible. It's impossible to do your thing and God's thing. What you need to do and what we must do if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ is to recognize that God's thing is the best thing, and I'm going to get on his plan. Because in that, God gives us, yeah, it's not easy, as I've already said, it's, it, it, there, there's difficulties, but there's no greater blessing, there's no greater thing in our lives. That I have never, ever, ever, ever heard anyone say to me, I followed Jesus and I regretted it. I followed the principles. I've had people say it's hard. I, say, I have had people say, man, I, this is not easy to do. Uh, I've had people say, I wish I could do my own thing and not God's thing. I've had all of that, but I have never heard anyone who has totally sold out to God and said, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. I'm going to do it your way. And they have regretted it in the process. I've had many people tell me that if it wasn't for God's way, they would have lost their life. Their life would have been horrible as a result. So we see here as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, as he's beginning the final leg of his journey, as he is going, we see some things for our lives here that Jesus has laid out for us that, that he wants us to understand that, listen, I, what he's saying is I'm going to the cross and now uh, I am going to be gone and when I am gone, you are going to be the ones that are going to, have to pick up the ministry in church. We are the ones 
that God has called to pick up His ministry and to do His ministry here on the earth. As a result of Him calling us to do that, He says you need to recognize that there will be rejection, that it will not be easy, that God must be first in your life, and you must put yourself last. It's not an easy call, but I promise you it's a good call. I promise you that I will bless you. I promise you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I promise you that I will carry you through. I promise you that in the end, life will be better and sweeter because you followed me than it would have been on your own. Those are the promises that God gives us. Those are the things that God tells us. And so we come together. And I hope that we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I hope you have a relationship with Him. This is really talking more about our discipleship and following Him in our regular, regular life. And we come together. And Jesus is asking you today, understanding the cost, understanding what it means, understanding what it means to follow Him, understanding that this world is going to be against us, understanding that, that we must keep Him first in our life and we must put ourselves last, understanding that it's not always peaches and cream. Jesus says, you said you want to follow me. Are you serious? Are you serious? Have you considered the cost? Because Jesus says this, in Revelation, he talks about the church of Laodicea. And he says about the church of Laodicea, you're neither hot, you're neither cold. You're neither for me, you're neither against me. You're lukewarm, you're playing the game, you're in the middle. And you know what he says? That makes me sick. Are you serious? There's no halfway with God. Praise God, there was no halfway with Jesus, right? He went all the way to the cross. He went all the way to the tomb. He bore all of my sins on his body, paid the price. He rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He went all the way. If you follow Jesus, you too must go all the way. Are you serious? Will you stand with me in God's house today? Father God, it's not easy. And God, I don't want folks to leave here today being or feeling negative about your call to follow you. Because God, the blessings are real. But God, you never hid the cost. These were your words. This is what you said. This is what you have told us. That if we follow you, there's a cost involved. But God, if we follow you, there's great blessings, great rewards. Lord, you don't want us to play the game because all that does is hurt us and destroy us. And so, God, I pray that we would have the heart, that we would be a church that would say, yes, I am serious about following Jesus. Yes, I am all in. Whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you call me to, Lord, I will do. And, Lord, use our church with that heartbeat to make a difference for you and a difference for your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.